That is the song Pyramid Scheme from the band Mumula. Their album is What in the Weird, and it appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. By permission of the band, you can find links to Mumula's Bandcamp page in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. I am Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to episode 29 of Monster Kid Radio. We're going to go back to Harryhausen in this week's episodes of Monster Kid Radio. I've got a special guest on the show. This is a first for us here. On the podcast, we've got Tracy Morris, co-host of the Disney podcast, Disney Indiana. Well, she's not just about the Mickey Mouse ears. She loves a good science fiction B-movie, and she loves Valley of Guanji. So that's what we're going to be talking about, the Valley of Guanji, on this week's episodes of Monster Kid Radio. You can find a link to her podcast over on our website. You can also find our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5MKR. Of course, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and a few other places. You can listen to the show directly through Stitcher on your smartphone phone or if you just need a bare bones website you can go to monsterkidradio.libsyn.com and download the show there we've got a lot to talk about about the valley of guanji we're going to talk a little bit about how the movie came about and really break down the plot and some of the dynamation in the film in this episode and then here in a couple of days we're going to come back with tracy and talk a little bit more about the behind the scenes what the movie meant that sort of thing you know how we do it here you've been listening long enough or maybe you're brand new to the show and if you are Welcome. If you do download the show through iTunes, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to review us over in the iTunes store. We've been getting some more reviews lately. I really appreciate it. And because I'm greedy, I want more. You know, we're getting into the Halloween season here soon. And iTunes, at least historically, has gone through and listed some of the more monster-friendly and horror-friendly podcasts more prominently in the iTunes store front pages. While we are a new show and we only have, as of this recording, 13 reviews, I don't think we'll make the front page. But obviously, the more reviews, the better, and we'd like to ask you to help us get up in the rankings. Of course, we'd also like to ask you to like us on Facebook and mention us on any other message board or anywhere else you travel online while you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. The more, the merrier. I also want to thank everybody who participated in the Matango Minibus Contest. The bust was donated to the show. It's a -a one-of-a-kind piece created by Tom Bigler, who appeared on the show a while back to talk about the movie Matango. I'm going through those entries now, and I think next week I'll be announcing the winner of the Matango Minibus. We're also going to be hearing from Tom in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. He has some thoughts about the Vincent Price coverage that Dr. Gain Green, Larry Underwood, and I did a couple of weeks ago here on the show. All right, let's dive into part one of our coverage of the Valley of Guanji right after this. From a world beyond our own come the forces of nature unleashed. Daikaiju Attack, the serialized giant monster story, presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. back we had a ray harryhausen three-week series where we talked about some of harryhausen's films celebrated the master since he had recently passed away well one of the movies that we did not cover back then was a movie called the valley of guanji dinosaurs versus cowboys and to talk about the movie i've got 
Tracy Morris here on the line with me. She is a newcomer to Monster Kid Radio, but not a newcomer to podcasting. You've heard her sidekick, Scott, on my podcast in the past. I've got her on my show now. We're going to talk about this movie. Tracy, how are you? I'm doing well. And if I'm not mistaken, I am the first monster girl that you have talked with. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So we got to play nice. We basically, uh, no, no belching, no scratching ourselves. We got a lady in our presence, gentlemen. So behave. Yeah, that but. <laughs> so tracy is one of the co-hosts of the disney indiana podcast i've known her for years but as you said you're a monster girl as well that's correct how far back does your fandom of this go well i come more from the sci-fi side of things i've always been a fan of of science fiction but i get my monster on every once in a while as well i remember seeing you know bits and pieces of different ray harryhausen movies you know on the tv i remember going to see Clash of the Titans in the theater. So he in particular is one of my heroes of monster films. I don't think you can think about monster movies and not think about Harryhausen. You just can't. It's, it's part of the vocabulary, part of the shared experience that a lot of us have when it comes to these types of movies. And Dinosaurs versus Cowboys, I mean, come on, sign me up. <laughs> and again, I think I had seen parts of The Valley of the Guanji growing up. Uh, had the uh, great fortune to watch it a couple of years ago as part of the B-Movie Festival in Franklin, Indiana at the Artcraft Theater, which is a really cool restored theater. So got to see it on the big screen in the 35mm print. And then, of course, watched it again recently to prepare for today's show. And if I could sidetrack just a little bit, Tracy and Scott are constantly making me jealous. And it's cool because I'm happy for them. But they're constantly making me jealous because they're always telling me about these great events happening at the Artcraft Theater. What, what city is the Artcraft in? It's in Franklin, Indiana, which is about a half an hour south of Indianapolis. And the theater that we mentioned has been restored by the local historical society. And they show movies every weekend, usually older movies. They've been doing um, film festivals recently. In fact, coming up this October, they are doing a Universal Monsters Film Festival. That's what I wanted to mention, man. That's awesome. Uh, what titles are part of the lineup, do you know? They've got Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, Mummy, I think Invisible Man, and I know they're wrapping up with Creature. Ah, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Have you guys found out whether it's 3D or not? Have not found out yet. Kind of doubt it. I don't think they have that uh, technology. Oh, man. But it's all film, right? It is all film, yes. Okay. There are film prints of Creature out there in 3D, so... Maybe they'll surprise us with it. Oh, man. Have you seen any of these movies on the big screen like this? Well, I guess you did Frankenstein with the TCM thing last year, right? Yeah, we did see that. And I think that for me, that's the only one I've seen on the big screen. <laughs> like I said, making me jealous. But so excited that you guys are going to get a chance to see those movies theatrically at a theater like the Artcraft. There's nothing like seeing movies like this at a restored theater. I've got the Hollywood Theater here in Portland that is slowly getting to that point where I get to see movies like King Kong or King Kong vs. Godzilla. It just adds a nice little bow to the experience of seeing these movies theatrically. So have a great time. That's going to be awesome. Looking forward to it. As far as the movie today goes tracy's the one that brought this to the table she offered to talk about the valley of guanji because she had seen it at the b-movie was it the festival or b-movie celebration it's b-movie celebration that's the right. official title okay and i mean i've never had a chance to see it theatrically i've only seen it a couple of times on dvd i bad monster kid i don't even own it on dvd right now i had to get it through netflix <laughs> sorry <laughs> <work on> it. <laughs> i'm getting there i'm getting there 
Speaking of Creature, I want to make a, a brief connection between Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Valley of Guanji. It's got my man Richard Carlson in it. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Richard Carlson fan. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the two Richards of Creature, Richard Carlson and Richard Denning. I mean, those guys, you put those guys in a movie, I'm there. I'm sold. I, I wish they made more movies together because I love the the relationship they have in Creature. There's a antagonistic kind of relationship. And I would have loved to see those two go off and do other monster movies together or anything together, really. But yeah, we got Richard Carlson in the Valley of Guanji. Obviously, he's not the star. The star are the dinosaurs and what very uh, uh, and what Harryhausen did. But you know, we mentioned Creature. I got it. I got to get my Creature on. I got to mention Richard Carlson. Well, if you're doing uh, connections, I found a there's a Disney connection. Believe it or not, a, a very minor one. Okay. Okay. Lawrence Naismith plays Professor Bromley in Valley of Guanji played a role in one of the Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color episodes uh, for The Prince and the Pauper. Now, I wasn't able to find out what role he specifically played, but he was listed as appearing in that um, TV show. Uh, I also found a reference in The Art of Ray Harryhausen, where he talks about the uh, influence, sort of, from Disney, an inspiration. He said, you know, when he was young, in the early 30s, that he had begun work on designing an extremely ambitious project. He says, I had envisioned a film that would show how the dinosaurs evolved and then died around 65 million years ago. On and off over two years, I labored this enormous story until one day I went to the cinema to see Walt Disney's Fantasia. In it was a section devoted to Stravinsky's Rite of Spring in which Disney had interpreted the music to accompany images of the evolution and demise of the dinosaurs. Well, that was it. I didn't shoot another frame, and it taught me a salutary lesson, not to think too big. Huh. So, so I'm not sure if we can consider that an inspiration or kind of a, um, well, somebody else has already done this bigger and better, so maybe I better focus my energies elsewhere. Uh, you know, either way, it's a lesson learned. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was interesting as well. Huh. And here I was getting ready to... Uh give a little nod to your husband and my friend Scott by saying that Lawrence Naismith wasn't a James Bond movie because he's always looking for those James Bond connections. But no, I like your connection better there. I like that. We'll leave the Bond connections for Scott. That's true. That's true. We don't want to steal his thunder. Uh, <laughs> uh, Naismith was also in Jason and the Argonauts and a lot of what happened in Quanji, a lot of the uh, skills on display, a lot of the talent on display when it comes to Harryhausen specifically. I mean, I feel like this is... Well, and it is the penultimate dinosaur movie from this. was the last time he did dinosaurs, right? Yes, it is. And you can definitely see that in the technical uh, display of his artistry uh, with the dinosaurs, with Guanji, with the – is it a pterodactyl or pterodon? It's, a t- they, it's identified as a pterodactyl in the movie, and the, there's also the styracosaur, which is the, the other larger – dinosaur that fights with the fights with Guanji and I don't think they ever identify the other little dinosaur that Guanji chomps and then of course <laughs> everything starts with the little tiny horse that's right yes the it, little it horse yeah which a prehistoric horse I mean there's so much going on here it really does feel like this was the dinosaur movie that Harryhausen was leading up to all the other movies were training films all, it was all that was all his apprenticeship. This is the big display. I love the, the dinosaurs in this, and maybe we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but I absolutely adore 
the dinosaur work in this. I can definitely see where movies like Jurassic Park would have picked up on how things were done in this movie to create the dinosaur effects that they had in that. Mm-hmm. I, I just love what I see here. In fact, the uh, DVD of this that, that we have, that we watched, has a documentary on it called Beyond the Valley of Guanji, where they actually interview several of the designers from Jurassic Park, and they all cite this movie as being inspiration for them. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, that's the same DVD that I got from Netflix. I did not watch that little piece. But I think knowing that Phil Tippett was involved with Jurassic Park and you know the stop-motion, go-motion effects that he had done, it's easy to see that linking between Guanji and Jurassic Park. And Really, there should be more of a linking between Guanji and pretty much any other dinosaur movie out there because it did it so right. But yeah, you can definitely see that. Shall we kind of go back and talk a little bit about how we get to all these wonderful dinosaurs? Yeah, I mean, it does take a little while for the dinosaurs to show up. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the story. It opens with a couple of gypsies in a canyon. Yeah, you find there's this gypsy character, aroma character. He's got something in a big burlap bag, and he's kind of staggering through these canyons and then we cut to another group of of gypsies that are calling out his name and they eventually meet up he's the guy carrying the bag is practically near death and they they pick up the bag and i do they ever really they don't really identify what's in the bag at that point do they no they don't the first time that i watched this for the show i didn't pick up on it i mean you can hear making you can hear making animal noises Mm -hmm. now the second time i watched it you know it's a horse. I mean, you can hear yeah, it's a horse. Hear. But the first time I didn't really register that there's a horse in the bag, which would make sense because horses don't fit in little bags like that. But it didn't really register for me. But you know there's something in there, mm-hmm. an animal of some sort. And it's moving around and kicking and all that. And as part part of the, the larger group is an older, the, the crone of the group, the older lady, and she doesn't think this is a good idea. She doesn't think that whatever the, they have brought out of the desert, whatever's in that bag, needs to be returned to where it came from. And she warns them, this is a bad idea. She even talks about there being a curse, a curse of Guanji. Yes. And then the opening credits roll, and now it's clearly a Western. Now, it starts out as a canyon setting, so maybe, but when the opening credits kick in and that music kicks in, Mm -hmm. a wonderful music by Jerome Morose, it's clearly a Western. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I had actually forgotten Richard Carlson was in the movie until I saw his name on the screen. I'm like, yeah! All right, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then we go straight into a Wild West show. Now, the movie's set, what, early 1900s? Uh, we were told that we are south of the border at the turn of the century. There's the little little blurb at the bottom. And you're right. right. We're in a wild, it's a parade down the main street of a little Spanish, a little Mexican town. And it's a Wild West show. Mm-hmm. A complete... That has an elephant in it. Well, okay, they're, they're <laughs> they didn't have elephants in the Wild West? What are you talking about? West West India, maybe? I don't know. There, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, it does feel very Wild West show, very circus-like. There's a, a weird mix here while they're parading downtown, uh, down the town. We meet Tuck, who's not part of the show. He's kind of watching mm-hmm. in the background. Tuck, played by James Franciscus. Dressed very nicely. Yeah. He's got some money. He's doing all right for himself. Uh, so much so that he draws the attention of a little boy in the crowd. Mm-hmm. What was his name? Lopa? Lope. Lope. Okay. Played by Curtis Arden, but from what I understand, his voice was dubbed. Mm. 
and he wasn't the only one dubbed. No, he was not. <laughs> uh, Lope approaches Tuck. He wants to you know, make a dime off of the gringo. Mm-hmm. Uh, offers his services for uh, translation, a guide. You need a horse, you know, all this stuff. Turns out Lope is an orphan, and uh, he's just he's not just hustling. He's actually working, and he becomes one of our main characters through the story. But like I said, Tuck is not part of the show. We do learn later that he might have been part of the show at one point. He definitely has relationships with the people on the show. Because we then cut back to the parade, and mm-hmm. we see this lovely redhead on a horse. And she's waving and smiling. And if I remember right, there's a little bit of eye contact between the redhead and Tuck. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't seem too happy to see him. Not at all. Uh, And this is TJ. TJ Breckenridge. Thank you. And you also see a poster, um, uh, a banner saying that this is Breckenridge's Wild West show. Mm -hmm. So it turns out she is actually the owner. Yes. Of the show. And she's in charge Now, Richard Carlson, who plays Champ, is her right-hand man. So I imagine he probably does a lot of the the wheeling and dealing with the townsfolk that don't might not be accepting a woman in charge of something. Right. Yeah, he's the face. (laughs) Uh, So TJ is played by Gila Golan, who was an Israeli model. Mm -hmm. And because she's from Israel and... uh, Probably had a pretty thick accent. She's the one that was dubbed that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not very well matched, in my opinion. It's pretty clear, and I don't know if it's less uh, an acting thing. Whoever did the voice work doesn't seem to be in sync in terms of the emotions. I, I don't know. There's just something there. It stands out for me. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned I didn't realize that Curtis Arden was dubbed. So whoever did that work did a very good job. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ms. Golan, you could you could tell she was dubbed. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take too much away from the movie, but it just doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And according to the Internet Movie Database, the wise oracle on the Internet, we don't know who did the dubbing for her voice. The voice actress has remained unidentified all these years. so Which is perhaps a little surprising, but then again, Valley of Guanji wasn't as successful as they had hoped when it, on its original release, so right. maybe she decided that... She didn't want to be associated with the project. This was one of the last things that uh, Golan did too. This, yeah. yeah. So, and you know, let's—I'd like to correct something here. I was mistaken. It is not Curtis Harden who was dubbed. I apologize. It was actually the person who played Carlos. He was the man who was dubbed. My apologies. Oh. But still, he didn't stand out too much either. No. no I, I would have. I was kind of surprised by that. This whole time, I thought it was Lope. <laughs> So apparently the dubbing was a good job on Carlos. Anyway, (laughs) so it's TJ's show. They're going through town. They're getting set up at the arena. Tuck wants to know where the arena is and has Lope take him to the arena. It's outside of town. Once we get there, we get to see the show in progress. we got a bunch of guys dressed up as Indians, hooping and hollering. We've got the horse work. It's a Wild West show. And and for those of you who don't know, a Wild West show, I think, is probably most associated with Wild Bill. And he's right. actually referenced in the show, Wild Bill's Wild West Show is mentioned in, in the movie itself. And it was an attempt to bring, quote unquote, the Wild West to an arena, to an entertainment style venue to show off gunplay, lasso work, horse work, got guys dressed up as Indians running around uh, who may or may not really be Native Americans. 
Calamity Jane was known to be involved in some of these shows at one point. And uh, So, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it is a thing. It's not something that's made up for the movie. So it definitely has a sense of history here. Correct. The star of the show, or the, the climax of the show, of course, stars TJ and her... But there, uh, there's the Wonder Horse. Yeah, the Wonder Horse, which becomes important after we see the trick. And the trick is she, the horse and she go up a platform about probably 20, 25 feet up, and they jump into a pool of water. Yeah. Which, again, is not something made up for this film. It's That was a, apparently an actual attraction, seeing horses jump off diving platforms. Yeah. Which was the first uh, uh, real effect we see in the movie as well when this happens. This was the first piece of dynamation from Harryhausen, the horse itself. Yep, it's very well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're looking for it, you'll you'll notice it right off the bat, but it's so – and it is Omar. Yeah, Omar the Wonder Horse. So after the show, Tuck manages to uh, find his way to TJ's dressing room. <laughs> and there's, there's a bit of a reunion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Champ is trying to keep him away, but – Whatever, Tuck just lets himself in anyway. TJ announces that she needs to change. Well, go ahead. <laughs> He's uh, very, Tuck is the most confident person in this. Well, TJ's probably close, but yeah, he's he's a smooth operator. He just, <laughs> he knows what he wants. He knows how to get it. Is that confidence? Is that, is that what that was? Arrogance, confidence. <laughs> he's somewhere between the two. Yeah. So while she's changing in her dressing room and he's behind the screen. Yeah. yeah. Well, behind the screen. I mean, it's not, you know, Tuck is very confident. Anyways, <laughs> you're right. There is a reunion here and it's kind of bittersweet. I suppose there might've been a falling out here. There was no might've about it. <laughs> yeah. TJ had thought she and Tuck were a couple and they were going to marry and he takes off. He took off. And made his fortune elsewhere. And now he's back because Omar the Wonder Horse apparently is such a hot commodity in the Wild West show circuit that Wild Bill wants to buy him. And TJ's not sure she wants to sell because I think she she likes being in charge. She likes being able to call the shots. Yeah. So you've got this dynamic here, which I find very interesting. And this is something that I like about a lot of Harryhausen's films. Sure, we go for the monsters, we go for the dinosaurs, we go for the cyclops, whatever. But I feel like they don't necessarily skimp on the human relationships. Sure, sometimes they're painted with a very broad stroke, but at least they still feel very real. And I like that there's backstory to this movie. It's not just monsters show up character seal with monsters and that's it there's definitely history here between mm-hmm. tuck and tj and i think the two characters or excuse me the two performers pull this off and make you feel as if yeah there is a relationship here and they just they acted which is what they're supposed to do despite the fact that there's going to be monsters showing up later so right. i did like that yeah and despite this probably being classified as a b movie at the time i i agree there is a true there's a story here there are characters that are not just cardboard cutouts you know you believe that these are real people and they've got that history they've got that interaction and they they grow and change throughout the movie definitely well we need to talk about Lawrence Saysmith's character we need to talk about the paleontologist that he plays i started giggling when he finally says greg scott on screen i don't know if that was a something that the back to the future guys pulled from but uh, when he says great scott i couldn't help but see christopher <laughs> lloyd um, <laughs> uh, but horace bromley he's a professor he's out in the the desert 
Does he? Bones. Yeah. Do they ever say he's actually looking for anything in particular, or he's just on a survey? He's just kind of out there looking to see what he can find. Now he's trying to prove that mankind existed much earlier than we currently than than was currently believed at the time, and that there were actual interactions between humanoids. He uses the term humanoids and different types of dinosaurs and he pulls out a very nice looking fossil set that shows the footprint little tiny footprints next to what he believes is a human leg bone and those little tiny footprints are of the eohippus the dawn horse right now the eohippus we've met because tj has one well, we haven't met it at that point yet. Have we, have we not met it at this point? No, we have not met it at that point. Well, we're going to meet it. Yes. Because TJ has the little tiny horse. <laughs> yes, Carlos, that was what was in the bag. Yes. Yeah, it turns out Carlos, who's a member of the Wild West show, was the, well, I guess now he's an ex-gypsy. He left the, the tribe, left the group to go join the Wild West show with this little tiny horse. Did they give the horse a name? I can't remember. El Diablo. El Diablo. Which is a weird name for a little tiny horse. I know. It's, it it's just adorable. It, it should have been called yeah. Roble or something. <laughs> we want to go with the Spanish name. You're the, the cute little thing. I know. It's like, aww. <laughs> and that, that's something else that even the Eohippus, Harryhausen worked to give it a little bit of personality. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it seems very curious when it walks out of its cute little tiny house that they built for it <laughs> uh, to the tiny little you know, fenced-in area that they built for it. I also liked that they seemed to have done some training, and there was a music box. So you'd, they'd, they'd open up this music box, it would start playing, and that was the cue for the horse to come out and presumably do its performance. Now, we didn't see it do what they w- were planning on having it do. They were actually going to train it to waltz on a platform on the back of the Wonder Horse. Right, it'll be a, a horse dancing on a horse, which Tuck was very impressed with the poster art for. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it was this cute little, it, it looked like a little puppy. You know, he's kind of nosing around. It was adorable, but it had its horse-like qualities. Mm-hmm. Well, and Tuck's going to end up meeting uh, Professor Bromley, and when there's talk of this Eohippus, Tuck's going to try to bring the professor into the circus, into the Wild West show, to check out El Diablo. Yep, Tuck puts two and two together, and he realizes that this little horse could be a lot more than just a Wild West show centerpiece. I mean, he's a businessman. Yeah, he's an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, there you go. That's a nice way to put it. He sneaks the professor in to see El Diablo, and of course the professor just goes absolutely gaga because he's, he's like the only person that really realizes, he and Tuck to a certain extent, what this means. You know, this animal should not exist. You know, he, he's the one that brings in the, the knowledge about the different prehistoric animals. You know, everybody else probably just thinks, oh, well, it's just a cute little weird thing. And he's like, no, this is like major history rewriting. Believe so he dreams. wants it for the historical implications. Right. That belongs in a museum. Um <laughs> <laughs> Now, he does say when he first sees him, uh, how did you get here, little guy? You know, mm-hmm. you are millions of years away from home. I, I like that. I, I like the mix of 
Tuck, the entrepreneur, and Professor Bromley, the it belongs in a museum. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many interesting characters here that are just – I mean, I, I can imagine that seeing this as an audience member in the theater, everybody's going to have at least one person they can identify with. Everybody's going to be able to find somebody in this cast of characters, whether it's TJ, whether it's Tuck, whether it's the professor, whether it's Champ. Or, you know, Lope. Oh yeah, definitely. The I mean, little you, kids could identify with Lope. You gotta have the little kid, and Lope is also working for the professor, so he's an integral part of the story here. He doesn't just get lost in the mix. It's just a nice mix of characters that are about to have this wonderful adventure, at least wonderful for us watching it, adventure <laughs> with these dinosaurs. Because you know, we're not just gonna let it go with El Diablo. Was it the professor or Tuck that came up with the idea of? ratting out the location of El Diablo to the gypsy clan. Well, I thought one of the gypsies showed up. No, they go out to find the gypsies, because I think they, they kind of figure out that Carlos was the one who brought it in, and they know a little bit of his background. Yeah. So they go out to the gypsies' camp and tell them, basically, hey, this, this creature thing, we know where it is. And that's where we find out, again, that there is a curse the curse of the Guanji, and it must they they feel if the if the animal is returned, if El Diablo is returned back to the Forbidden Valley, everything will be okay. Right. And it's the gypsies that want to take it back. I mean I the right. gypsies, don't the gypsies steal it? They do. They they break in and they steal El Diablo, the Eohippus, from TJ's camp, and they take off. And the the professor had set that up because he was going to follow them. With Lope, Mm -hmm. and then Tuck finds out about this, so they they have Tuck, and somewhere along the way, TJ and Carlos and Champ, the Wild West show owners, they think Tuck was involved in the stealing. They call him the horse thief, so they all light off after them. So we've got this chase scene with about three different components of it. The gypsies, the professor, Tuck, and then TJ and Champ and and Carlos and a couple of other ranch hands, Rowdy and Bean. Right. And something that we did not mention, Tuck has already shown himself to be kind of a man of action. He kind of shows up when he uh, intervenes in a bullfight going wrong. It gets a lot of attention, and I get the impression Carlos is not too happy about this. There's some animosity between yeah, Carlos and TJ. I mean, it, it goes beyond... He hurt TJ's feelings, and Champ's not too happy about seeing him again. I don't know if it's a jealousy. It is, because Carlos kind of hit... You see Carlos hitting on TJ a little bit at one point. Well, it starts off with... the We see a bullfight practice scene. Right. And Lope starts this all off by... He jumps in the ring. He pretends to be a matador. And when the bull goes after him, he realizes this is a really bad idea. Carlos jumps in to try to save him, and then Tuck jumps in to try to save Carlos. So the Carlos has a lot of conflicted things going on. He's jealous of the relationship between Tuck and TJ, but at the same time he owes a debt of honor to Tuck for helping save his life. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of character development. There's a lot of different levels here. Mm-hmm. I liked it. And you're right, it's this three-pronged chase into the Valley of the Dinosaurs, basically the Forbidden Valley where we see the pterodon, we see the triceratops, we see 
Well, ultimately, we're going to see Guanji, and I'm not trying to skip over them like it's no big deal because it is a big deal when you see these things uh, brought to life. You know, in the Forbidden Valley, the, the Valley of the Dinosaurs. I, I keep telling, calling it the Valley of the Dinosaurs, which I think is the name of a much lesser film. But <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, the Dinosaurs' Greatest Hits here. It's Harryhausen's Greatest Hits. I mean, you see the Triceratops, you see the Pterodon. I have to correct you. It is not a Triceratops. Uh-oh. It is a Styracosaur. That's right. That's what you said at the beginning of this. Yeah. Which is, which is what the professor defines it as. I'd have to go back and watch that scene again, but I don't think they ever identify the Guanji dinosaur itself by a species name in uh-huh. the Art of Harryhausen book and in the some of the documentary stuff. They were calling it an allosaur, so it's not a T-Rex; it's an allosaur. So right. Supposedly. When I watched this movie at the art craft, part of me was wondering. How many of these dinosaurs had actually been discovered by when this movie is supposed to be set? So that, that was kind of pinging my, do I believe this or not, meter. So I went back and did some research. Okay. The Eohippus was discovered and named in 1876. So we're All good right. there. Okay. The Allosaur or the Guanji, if we're, if we're treating it as an Allosaur, it was discovered and named in 1877. All right. We're, we're still good. The, terid- the pterodactyl. It was 1809, so that's way back. So that was actually one of the, apparently one of the first dinosaurs actually kind of identified and named. The, the pterodon? Yeah, pterodon, pterodactyl. They're, they're pretty similar. darn close, yeah. The only one that really is questionable is the one that the professor specifically calls out, the styracosaur. That wasn't discovered and named until 1913. So it ah. depends on... Turn, how we ex- how long we extend the whole turn of the century. Gotcha. Okay. I said maybe he just read about it in um, Dinosaur Weekly. Dinosaur Weekly. <laughs> or National Geographic or something else probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Although now I want a subscription to Dinosaur Weekly. <laughs> and uh, so you're right. It's, yeah, it's definitely... eventually all all of the the main characters Tuck and TJ and Champ and Carlos and Rowdy and Bean and Professor Bromley and Lope. They all end up kind of banding together once they get into the Forbidden Valley and realize just what they've found. Because it's mm-hmm. not just the Eldiablo, it's not just this little creature, it's all these other prehistoric creatures. All these, these other animals out of time who are quite dangerous. Uh, the pterodon swoops in and, and tries to take off with Lope, does take off with Lope. He's saved, he's rescued. That was one of the the really good blendings of live action and the stop motion. I had a really hard time figuring out where we left off Lope being picked up and carried away Uh, between the live action. Because at one point I was like, okay, do they have the actor in some kind of harness being lifted up in a way, or is that a stop-action character of him? It, w- it was really hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, that's something that Harryhausen would do anytime one of his creatures would pick up somebody. You would have to have a, a, a stop-motion figure and the monstrous claws. But in this one, and you can tell, you can tell sometimes, but in this one, you're absolutely right, specifically for the long shots. Mm-hmm. You, now, the, the close-up of Lope, you can tell the, the creature's yeah. claws. Well, and the close-up of Carlos dispatching the pterodon, you can definitely tell. I mean, it's obviously 
a creature made out of latex and rubber, that sort of thing. It actually seems quite lifeless compared to the stop motion long yeah. shots. It it really did. You're right. Yeah. But I mean, what what are you going to do? I mean, I suppose with a shot like that, you have to have a physical dinosaur on set. <laughs> this was way before CG, so. Yeah. Yeah. So do keep that in mind, but Carlos does take care of the pterodon. Lope is saved. We do have some casualties here. I mean, some people do die. Mm-hmm. Th- these are not just cute little dinosaurs. This isn't just like little cute El Diablo. Ultimately, Guanji is brought back because we want to put Guanji in a Wild West show because that sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> they they kind of took a, a page out of the book of, of, well, I guess technically if we go look at time frames, Guanji was before King Kong. That's in, true. In history. So they were yeah. actually the first to bring this huge, dangerous creature back and show it off. Exactly. Which makes sense considering we're some of where the Valley of Guanji came from, which we'll get to. But yeah, we definitely see this this prototypical, let's bring the monster back to civilization and show it off thing happening here to the expected end. <laughs> this never ends well. No. This is never a good idea. I, I wondered how much time elapsed between them bringing Guanji out of the valley and the grand reveal, because they had an amazing setup. They had a hot air balloon that was holding this huge curtain around the huge cage that held Guanji. They spent some serious bucks getting this ready to go. It does seem like the production did suddenly end up with a lot more money yeah. for Guanji's debut. Yeah, they went from a horse jumping into a, a pool of water to you know, Barnum and Bailey level production values yeah which you know maybe that was, that was tuck yeah yeah I, it was fun to see fun to see but you know tuck's got money so maybe he pumped the money into it seeing what he had there and, and was hoping true. for the best so uh, it does become a much bigger production which means a lot more people mm-hmm. in the arena and a lot more people to panic when things go predictably wrong the scene of the people leaving the arena, which suddenly is now in the town instead of two miles out. Yeah. And fleeing into the church. The, the actual leaving the arena, that ran a little long. It's like, people panic, people panic, people panic. People panicking, people panicking, people panic. <laughs> oh, yeah, you could have cut that down a little bit. Just a little bit. They flee into the church. Uh, well, I should say cathedral, because it's another huge building. It is. It's one of those those uh, old school, you know, large Catholic Spanish cathedrals. It's kind of gorgeous. Actually, I kind of liked it. I'm like, it that's, is. I, that's I was a wonderful building. Look around a little bit more and get, move the dinosaur. I want to see what's behind you. <laughs> I know, right? The cathedral is big enough for a full size allosaur to wander around and apparently be pretty comfortable. Yeah. Which not only did the arena move into town, apparently the town also grew because when the beginning of the movie, I didn't get the impression that the town was very large. I mean, it's a larger fair, city. Yeah. We don't know if they was, this was the same town. Maybe ah, good point. It, they, maybe they moved on to a larger, cause I think TJ even says that the next town they're scheduled to go to, they think they're going to make lots more money. Even with the original wild west show. So good we'll point. make the assumption that this is a new locale. Fair enough. Okay. Problem solved. 
if they did move, they didn't move far enough away because the gypsies still find them. In fact, it's, well, the gypsies follow them home from the valley, and I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to spoil too much of the movie. I feel like when you think Harryhausen, you don't necessarily think of Guanji for whatever reason. I, I guess I don't put it in there with the other ones, even though I should. So I wonder if there's anybody out there who hasn't seen the Valley of Guanji. I don't want to ruin it by, by spoiling some of the things that happen at the end. I mean, I think you can kind of guess what's going to happen. But there are some little twists and turns and little things that are kind of unique to this film that I think people need to see. So I don't know if we should spoil too much more of it Okay. in terms of story. Fair enough. That said, there's some amazing dynamation on display here. And the stop motion, I've said it repeatedly in this, I feel is the culmination of a lot of what Harry Harryhausen had done. I know he would go on to do other movies as well, but man, the dinosaurs on this are just gorgeous. And they look so alive. I remember there's there's one shot where you see Guanji in the distance, and he's just kind of looking around. He's hunting, but he reaches out with his little with his little tiny claw and scratches his nose a little bit. Yeah, just at that that little bit of business sells the fact that that's a real animal you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Again, big thanks to Tracy for joining us here on Monster Kid Radio to talk about the Valley of Guanji. We'll be back in a couple of days to continue to continue to talk about that movie, as well as have a little bit of feedback from Tom Bigler about a particular Vincent Price film. If you have any feedback for the show, please feel free to email it to us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call it in at 503-479-5MKR. Also, big thanks to Mumula for agreeing to appear on the show this week. They have a Facebook page. I went and checked it out, and they have some shows coming up here later this month on September 15th. They're going to be playing at the Shrunken Head in Columbus, Ohio on October 1st. They'll be playing at the Ace of Cups in Columbus, and then on October 24th, they'll be playing at Bluestone. Look them up on Facebook to find these dates, and thank you to the listener who is part of the band who gave us the okay to play their music here on the show. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution at non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not extend to the song Pyramid Scheme, which, as we just said, appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio by permission of the band Mumula. It appears on their album, What in the Weird? Talk to you in a couple of days. <laughs>